0: And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have what? Dominion. See, guys, one of the most amazing things that I find in, in the scripture is that yes, God is king by nature, He is ruler and sovereign Lord over all of creation, over all of the universe. But what God did in the garden, what God did in making man in his own image, is that he said, I want to have co-creators that participate in the kingdom with me. I want to have co-regents. I want to have uh, other rulers that have dominion and that are made in my image, but, but I'm, I'm in heaven. Remember, God is, he is invisible. He is in heaven, but he makes man in his image. He makes us physical, material. He puts us on this earth, and he says, I want you to represent me and my kingdom on earth from the very beginning. This is a very unique role that man has, distinct from every other creature on the earth. Listen to what it says in Psalm 8. i want to read this to you. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Listen, but you have crowned him with glory and honor and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. You see, the first reality that I share with you this morning is that the kingdom was established by God and entrusted to Adam. The kingdom was entrusted to the first man, Adam, and he was called to participate with God in the kingdom. to be the, He was the representative head of mankind on the earth. And some, sometimes we, we, we fail to understand what really happened in the garden. It was tragic, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But what really happened in the garden, see, see part of what, what the garden was all about was that heaven and earth were, were together. They were united. God walked with man. Man was in perfect relationship and fellowship with God. Everything was as it should be. And God had given man responsibility to go and have dominion. Be a king. Rule the earth. Reflect my image. Represent my will. That's the purpose and the plan of the very first man. Man. But man, we messed it up, didn't we? I mean, you look around the world today, and there's so much turmoil and violence and wickedness and corruption and death and disease and suffering. It's like, man, and it, no, I don't care if you're religious, irreligious, it, no matter what. Everybody recognizes that this is not the way it's what? supposed to be. Something went wrong along the way. I think we all can agree to that. Something's wrong with the creation. Something's wrong with... The world in which we live—something's wrong with human nature. Otherwise, we wouldn't do the things that we do and treat the people the way that we treat them. And just to be quite frank, we know what happened: is that, see, man did something tragic. Adam relinquished the kingdom to somebody else. This is what Genesis three is all about. If you if you look in your Bibles, I'm, I'm gonna, my friend. I'm going to ask you to turn all the way to the end now to Revelation chapter twelve. Look at Revelation twelve nine. See, the second reality that I'm sharing with you this morning is, that, yes, the kingdom was established by God. The kingdom was entrusted to Adam, to the first man. And yet Adam relinquished the kingdom to our enemy, the devil, to Satan. Revelation 12, 9 says so the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. Now, I know that's maybe an eschatological passage talking about things that are maybe happening at the end times. But again, he's given a title. He's given a name. We have an arch enemy. His name is Satan. Look at what it calls, uh, John calls him the devil, Satan, the serpent of old. Uh, he deceives the whole world. He's the deceiver of the world. And we know he is the serpent of old. And that ties us all the way back to the story in Genesis, the true account of God, uh, man's fall in Genesis chapter 3 as the serpent deceived man. And basically, what he did, guys, is that he he stole the kingdom from mankind. And we, we sometimes fail to, to recognize the, the gravity of that moment when, when Eve was deceived and Adam stood idly by, and they both rejected God's command. They both disobeyed God. They both did not trust God's word. They both trusted someone else's word over God. They both took matters into their own hands, and by doing that, they brought tremendous amount of death and suffering and complete separation from God. And, and think about what happened. They were cast out of the garden. They were cut off from God. On the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Cut off. And that's what happened in the garden. And so now you have this this other being that's been introduced to this story, right? And, And so every again, every kingdom has an enemy. We have an enemy. And he's called by many names, but he is Satan. He is the deceiver. He's been called the bright morning star. He's called the devil. He's called uh, the deceiver of the nations. He's called the prince of demons. He's called the ruler of this world. He's called the god of this age. John says in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you ever wonder what was happening in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? It's amazing. We got a chance to go to Israel back in September. and It was, again, a life-changing trip. But one of the most profound things to me is that we were leaving. um, We were coming from uh, Samaria up in that area, driving down to uh, Jericho. And as we were driving on the way to Jericho, you're getting close to the Jordan Valley. And it's just this desert mountainous region. And, And the guide points over there and he says, hey, that over there is the mountain of temptation. It's just this barren desert, just rocks, and you can't see anything, but there's this one kind of peak in the distance, and you look over there, and you're like, that's what it means when Jesus was was led into the wilderness. He was led into this barren location where he would be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And and he kind of puts things into perspective. And you think about what happened in that temptation. The devil showed Jesus all the what? All the kingdoms of the world. And what did he say? He said, listen, all you've got to do is bow down to me, and I'll give you all this. Now, how could Satan even have the right to tell Jesus that I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth unless he what? Unless he has them, unless he has ownership of the kingdoms of the world. And that's what we've seen historically throughout all history is that we've seen satanic influence after satanic influence behind all the major kingdoms of the earth. If you can go all the way back to Egypt, to Babylon, to Greece, and Rome, and Assyria, um, all of these wicked nations and kingdoms of the earth are being influenced by satanic purposes even up until this very day. Because Satan stole the kingdom from mankind. You know, one of the greatest purposes of the devil right now, it says that, that the devil, his job is to keep the minds of unbelievers blinded so that they will not see the glory of Christ and believe the gospel. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He's keeping people blinded and, and deceived so that he can work out his purposes throughout this world. Tragic. And so you've got the kingdom established, it was supposed to be given to man, and and, and we were supposed to rule alongside with God and be his representative on the earth, and yet man chose to disobey God and reject his commandments, and therefore he relinquished the power of the kingdom of the earth over to another, and his name is Satan, and that's what's happening right now in our world today. And then right after the Tower of Babel, when all these other kingdoms were dispersed and they began to... To really uh, develop over the face of the earth, something amazing happens. See, God chooses another man. His name is Abram, and all these other kingdoms that 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 dispersed over the face of the earth after the Tower of Babel—they are all pagan nations. Egypt, Babylon, ancient Near East in China, in India, all the other civilizations on the earth, they all worship false gods. They all worship demonic entities. They all were wrapped up in paganism. They were not worshiping the one true God. But God said, I'm going to take another man, his name is Abram, and I'm going to make another nation out of this man. And it's going to be the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So now we have a new nation. Now we have a a new purpose, a new plan. God said, I'm going to take my own people. I'm going to take my own kingdom back. And I'm going to begin reestablishing and reclaiming this whole earth through one people. Remember what he told Abraham? He said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through through you and your offspring. Okay? Okay. So turn with me real quick to Exodus 19. I just want to show you how God, the kingdom, was foreshadowed through Israel. And So again, what I'm trying to do, guys, is I'm trying to paint the the big picture, the overall overarching picture of the kingdom of God. And so in in the book of Exodus 19, this is right before he gives the Ten Commandments. Look at what he says. This is Israel at Mount Sinai, verse 1, Exodus 19, verse 1. It says in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day they came to the wilderness at Sinai for they had departed from Rephidim and they had come into the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness so Israel camped there before the mountain and Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying thus you shall say to the house of Jacob Israel and tell the children of Israel You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. The purpose of God through Israel was so that he would take a distinct and a peculiar people and they would not be like any other nation on the face of the earth. And that, therefore, that's why God gave them these prescriptions, these laws in the Old Testament through the Torah and Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And he, he says, you're going to be a peculiar people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be my holy nation. You're going to be my chosen people. You're going to be different from everyone else in the world for a purpose because I want the rest of the nations in the world to see what it looks like when a people are truly living in right relationship with their creator. I want the other nations to see my goodness and my glory through through you. And that's what happened during this time of Israel. And of course, we know the story is that, you know, God was Israel's king, but eventually they asked for a what? They asked for a king. And that really displeased God because he said, "Listen, who's supposed to be your king? I am." But do you know why they asked for a king? because they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. And so God said, okay, I'll reluctantly give you a king, but understand this, that as soon as I give you a king, he's going to take advantage of you, and he's going to raise your children to be soldiers in your army, and all these different things. But But the reality was, there was a kingdom. The kingdom was Israel. God was their king, and God was using this picture, this this foreshadowing of the kingdom of Israel to point us to something that is greater yet to come. Greater that's yet to come. So, fast forward now, about 1400 years after the Exodus, and we get another man coming in the nation, the land of Israel, after the Israelites had been conquered and expelled into exile and all these things have happened. The Romans now are full control of the land. and You got this guy walking and wandering in the wilderness. His name's John. And we're going to start talking about John here in a few weeks because, you know, he's announcing the coming of the, of the king. Right? Isn't that what the whole Christmas story is about? Born unto us this day in the town of David is a savior who's the i've got good news for all people then he's going to take up the throne of his father david and all these things it's all it's all kingdom pictures that's what the whole christmas story is all about is that john begins to announce the birth and i'm sorry john's not announcing the birth of the king but john is announcing the coming of the king and the angels are announcing the birth of jesus and so you've got this beautiful picture of the kingdom. And so when we look at the kingdom of God being realized in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's where the whole story, Christmas story picks up. So the kingdom was realized and redeemed by Jesus Christ. The very first thing that we read Jesus preaching when he comes out of the wilderness in Mark chapter 1 is this. Listen to what it says in Mark 1. He says, repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is here. Now, here's, here's the question I want to ask you How did Jesus begin to redeem the kingdom? Remember, the kingdom was lost in the garden, the kingdom was pictured in Israel, but, but they had not fulfilled God's plan and purpose. They, they had disobeyed. But here comes along Jesus, the, the Messiah, the Savior, the King of the Jews, born in human form. He comes unlike any other king, he comes not to to judge and to rule and to reign, but he comes the first time to to suffer and to die and to do something that none of his followers, I think, completely understood understood that he was born to do. So let me just share with you how Jesus realized the kingdom of God for you and for me and how he he began to redeem the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Jesus appeared in the flesh. There's a reason why the, the Son of God had to be born as a man. He had to come in the flesh to perfectly fulfill all righteousness. This is part of the gospel, okay? Jesus had to live the life that you and I could never what? We could never live. So Jesus had to live the life that you and I could never live. Guys, this is essential because, listen, none of us can accomplish salvation or earn or merit salvation by our good works. None of us can keep the law perfectly enough, and that's the the declaration of the gospel and we understand that somebody had to do it for us. That's why Jesus had to become a man. So he was perfectly obedient on our behalf. And so remember, who was our first representative? Who was the first man? Adam. He was disobedient. That disobedience has been passed on to every generation since the birth of Adam and since since the life of Adam. And so now we have to have somebody who takes the place of Adam, who undoes the, the transgression of Adam, who reverses the transgression of Adam for us. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to destroy the works of the devil by making atonement for the sins of the world. Somebody had to die in our place. That's what the gospel is all about. So Jesus began to redeem for himself all the nations As a people for his own possession, and he granted salvation to everyone who would believe. He declared victory over the world. He declared victory over sin and over the devil and over all the powers of darkness. He declared victory over death, over the grave once and for all through his resurrection. That's what the ministry of Jesus is all about. When he was facing Pilate, this is what Jesus said Pilate said, Are you a king? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But can you imagine to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus' disciples for just a moment? Because they began to understand, yes, this is the Messiah. He, He checks all the boxes. There's nobody else that could qualify for being the Messiah except this one, Jesus. And everything that he did and he said testified to the fact that he is God in the flesh and that he was unique beyond any other person who'd ever lived. Then, after being crucified, he's resurrected from the grave to validate who he was. And the disciples come to him and listen. You know what they asked him one of the very first questions after the resurrection in the book of Acts? The, d- the disciples say, Lord, will you at this time restore the what? The kingdom. In other words, they knew... That there was a promise from the very beginning, after Adam lost it, after the devil took it, after Israel foreshadowed it. They're saying, okay, Lord, we saw, we believe, we know who you are now. At this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Little did they know, Jesus answered, and this is what he said. He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Boy, I know that's not the the answer they were hoping for. He said, look, it's not for you to worry about it right now. I' got another mission for you. He said, "I need you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for who? Holy Spirit. Why? So that you will be my, my witnesses, Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the what? the ends of the Earth. You see, again, being a Jew, a first century Jew, you're still thinking along the lines of the ethnic people of Israel and the kingdom of God coming just to them. And, and I will tell you that many of the of the early uh, Second Temple Jewish people, all the way back to the time that they were delivered out of Egypt, the Jews did have a little bit of a skewed understanding that they were God's chosen people, yes. God did want to use them for his purposes, Yes. But God's plan of redemption was always to go beyond the ethnic people of the Jews to the what? To the whole world, to all of the nations. And so they had a short-sighted understanding. When we read through the book of Acts, that's what this is all about. They're like, hey, now that you've been crucified, you've been resurrected, now your kingdom will be established on the earth. You're our king. We're ready for the kingdom of Israel to finally thrive underneath your lordship. And he said, "Nope, it's not for you to know that. Because I've got a whole greater plan that you had no idea about. And that plan was to reach the nations with the gospel. And you're to be my witnesses. Now, I think everybody in this room could be able to say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord for that. Because I'm not Jewish. I doubt that there's very many ethnic Jews in the room. There may be a few. But we're all what? We're Gentiles. We come from the pagan nations. Our ancestors come from all of the pagan nations. And because of God's grace to all the nations and his plan of redemption for the entire world, we've been going now through a period of 2,000 years of God's salvation and grace and redemption. And it continues to this very day through every single person that enters into that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how the kingdom of God has been advancing ever since. Now, this is where the tension comes in, okay? In that sense, when Jesus came, when he accomplished redemption, when he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, when he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell every believer, and he sends us out to be his witnesses, in that real sense, guys, the kingdom of God is already here. Because what happens in salvation is that we go from being a citizen of this world, we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and now all of a sudden we become a citizen of of heaven we become a citizen of the kingdom of God but in a very other real sense the fulfillment of the final kingdom of God has not yet come that's why we're still here that's why we're still doing what Jesus Christ has called us to do somebody look at Colossians chapter 1 if you have if you have your bibles turn to Colossians 1 listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 13. Colossians 1, 13 says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of of sins. You see, the kingdom of God has been transferred to God's children of light. We are now representatives of Jesus Christ. Remember what was Adam's original mission? You're supposed to be my what? My representative. You're supposed to go and have dominion. You're supposed to go and reflect my glory all over the earth. And now in Christ, we now have that ability to do it again, that we live in a dark world that is still being influenced by evil and these satanic powers of influence all over the world. And yet Jesus says, I've come to give you life, to bring you into relationship with me so that you can be a light shining in a very dark world that we've been transferred into his kingdom. Now, two things about this, and I'm going to move on. We've not only been given the authority to be his witnesses. Authority is important. Any, any um, police officer in the room understands that they have been given authority, and that's why they wear a what? They wear a badge. That badge says, I have authority. I've been entrusted with keeping peace, and I have authority. But just in case someone disrespects that authority, uh, an officer's also issued a what? A firearm. You see, not only does an officer have authority as a keeper of the law, but he also has the power to do something about it. God forbid that ever has to happen. But we're the same way as God's representative. You see, we've been given the authority. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you what? Now you go as my witnesses. You go and make disciples of all nations. You see, not only did Jesus give us authority because our authority is in whose name? It's in his name Jesus Christ has been he's ascended to the right hand of the father. He has more authority than anyone else in heaven and on earth. That's the authority that we have, but he said I didn't leave you without the power either. That's why I had to give you the holy spirit. We have power. That's why I said I'll give you the good news of the gospel. You know what the Bible says about the gospel? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Do you know that's why he gives us something like the privilege of prayer? See, we've been given the authority and the power as God's children as we have been able to have the kingdom of God transferred and entrusted to us. So in that sense, the kingdom of God, yes, is already here, but it is not yet. Reality number six is the kingdom continues through us to this day, and, and we know how that's part of what we've been preaching for, for two years now. One of the things about World War II, if you know anything about history, something amazing happened is that after D-Day and the invasion of France and you know the armed forces began to overtake the German forces and we realized that the war was about to be over and and then um you know uh President Truman had to drop the uh, the bomb and um in Japan, and so the war was over, and we had declared victory over our enemies, but there were still a lot of skirmishes out in the Pacific, especially that carried on for days, sometimes weeks after the war, because they had not gotten the message. The war was over, but they're still what? They're still fighting. And I think that's just a very simple way for us to understand it, that the war, the victory has been declared on the cross. Victory has been declared through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Victory has been declared, but guys, there are still skirmishes. There are still battles to be fought and battles to be won until that final day of victory is realized in God's church. And that's where we are. That's why the kingdom continues through us. As Paul said, we are ambassadors of the king. We're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God sends us out to be his ambassadors. Two more, and we're going to be done. Reality number seven, the king's coming back. The king will return to repay, to reward, and to rule three things. We are anticipating the return of the king. Jesus talked about this so much. He he gave us parables about, you know, hey, when when a landowner entrusts you with his vineyard or his land and he goes away on a long journey, he wants you to take care of what he's given you because you never know when he's what. You never know when he's coming back. So you better be ready and you better be found faithful when he comes back because he's coming back. You may not know when, but he's coming back. And that's what the scriptures clearly tell us is that there will be a day when the king, Jesus, who is ascended, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now, at the highest place of authority in the universe. He will come back to this earth to rule, to reign, to reward and to repay That means that all those who have rejected Christ, all the enemies of God, Jesus is coming to finally make a reckoning of all those things. He's going to make everything that's wrong, he's going to make it right. He's going to come and bring justice once and for all to this earth. Not only that, guess what he's going to do with his people? He's going to reward you according to your deeds. He's going to reward you and me according to what we did in this life. Did you know that you are, there's a book being recorded about your life right now? Did you know that? Everybody has a book that's being written. Your life, your story is being written as you live out your life. Mine is too. And when that day comes, when Jesus returns, it says the books will be what? Your book is going to be opened, and there's going to be an accounting of our life, that which we did in the body, those deeds that we did here on this earth. And according to what we did as God's children, how we represented him, what kind of stewards we were with, with the gifts that he gave us, that will determine our reward in the kingdom. That's real. It's because he that is faithful with little will be what? Entrusted with much more. That's a principle of the kingdom. So guys, it's, it's, it's going to be a glorious day for us when Jesus returns. It's going to be a wonderful day when evil is finally conquered, when the enemies of God are put, are put down. But listen to me, there's also a reward. And we're in, in, in some sense, we're working for a reward. There's nothing, we're, not being, we're not saved by our good deeds, but we are rewarded in our ownership and responsibility in the kingdom according to our good deeds. That's a biblical principle Of the kingdom. Let me just read it to you Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations. He'll separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are, who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And people will say, Lord, when, did, when was I faithful what, what, what determines what I'm receiving in the kingdom? And this is the very same passage. And he said, you know what he said? He said, when I was hungry, what'd you do? You gave me something to eat when I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink when I was in prison and in the hospital. You came and you visited me. You cared for me. See, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. According to what we do in this life, It matters and that's what determines our what we are received is our rewards in heaven. So the king is coming. And here's the last one. The kingdom will be restored on earth forevermore. Did you know that heaven one day will be where? On earth. For how long? forever. Did you know that? God's purpose is to bring heaven back. Unite heaven and earth together where God will be with his people and his people will be with their God and we will be together with him forever, dwelling with him in a very real physical earth where Jesus Christ, listen, will be king and he will be seated on a physical throne. That throne will be the throne of his father David in the city of Jerusalem on Mount Zion where he will rule as king of Israel over all of the earth. And every one of us who are his children, who are the saints of the Most High God, who are the the believers in Jesus Christ, we will dwell with him in that kingdom forever. And the Bible says that we will also rule and reign alongside him. This is a fascinating aspect of the kingdom. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to what it says. There'll be a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared and adorned adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. Listen, he says, behold, I'm making everything new. That's the kingdom. Guys, when Jesus taught us to pray, I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. When Jesus taught us to pray, think about it. He starts saying, Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Guys, let me tell you something that's the tension. Every time we, as God's children, obey him, his will is done on earth. Every time we reach out and bring another person into the kingdom, guess what? His will is done on earth. Every time we show mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness, every time we represent Jesus and his nature, guess what? His will is done on earth. It's like little bitty pictures and pockets of the kingdom of God taking place all over this dark world. Because it's already here. But we all know that it's not yet. We all know that we're still waiting the day when Jesus comes back. When our king is back on earth, on his throne where he belongs, and we're with him on this earth. Listen, we're waiting for the day when there is no more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin. That day's not come yet. And so until that day comes, the Great Commission continues. Because every person God reaches through you, you bring them into his what? Into his kingdom. That's what it's all about. So guys, I know that we're going to move on from the book of Acts, and we'll be going in a different direction here in the next few weeks, and Christmas is coming but I just want to continue to encourage you and to say, Randy and I taught this week, and he said, I've been telling my people that you are the ellipsis in the book of Acts. It's open-ended for a reason because we're still part of the story. What a great privilege that we have. Amen? I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing one more song. I just want to encourage you today. I, you know, a lot of times we, we don't talk about responding, and, and I know some of you may need to just pray where you are, or thank God where you are, do business with the Lord where you are. But listen, I'm all, we're always up here. If you need prayer, or maybe you want to talk more about what it means to be, to have a relationship with the King, that's what we're here for. But don't leave here without allowing the Lord to minister to your heart wherever you may be, okay? So will you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for the story of redemption from beginning to end, and how you've still called us to be a